0: This is Sherelle Jardine, and this is Make a Scene Canada on Pacific Northwest Radio. Make a Scene Canada is a go-to for discovering new artists, as well as a place to hang out with our Canadian icons. I absolutely love, and it's my great pleasure to bring you the songs and stories of our world-class Canadian musicians and introduce you to our industry leaders as well. Magazine Canada is sponsored by Zed Productions. Zed Productions is a full service production company offering the best studios and services to suit your project and budget. From producing to recording and mixing, contact Sheldon Zaharko at sheldonzaharko.com. There is a lot that goes into running this station and its podcasts, and while we do bring it to you for free, we could use some support to keep running and growing. Any contributions, no matter how small, are appreciated. If you love the show and would like to donate to Make a Scene Canada, go to pacificnorthwestradio.com and click on the top right where it says Contribute and become a patron of the station and Make a Scene Canada. Click on Become a Patron and then you'll have a few options. You can make a custom pledge and donate whatever you'd like or, for as little as a buck a month, you can help us keep the station and Make a Scene Canada rocking. You can also become an official sponsor of any one of our podcasts or online radio station. All details are on the contribute section as well. And you can always get in touch with us. Our email is pacificnorthwestradio at gmail.com. And in the subject line but make us in Canada or Pacific Northwest Radio or maybe one of our other programs and find them all on pacificnorthwestradio.com. We've just started to dive into the Bitcoin world for the station. If you sign up for your own account you'll get $10 to invest in various cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, and Bitcoin Cash, just to name a few. It's easy and fun, and why not get into the game? When you sign up and put $100 into your account and buy Bitcoins, you can refer a friend, and when they invest $100, you're gonna get $50 to invest. And if you want to learn more about buying cryptocurrency, are you tired of the banking system as we know it? Uh-huh. Have you ever heard about Bitcoin? Huh? Sure you have. Who? Ever think about buying it? Uh-huh. But were afraid and didn't know how? I'm scared. Look no further. Netcoins is a user-friendly Canadian cryptocurrency exchange that aims to make cryptocurrencies less mysterious, intimidating, and complicated for Canadians.
1: Hey, I'm, uh, I'm not a lumberjack or a fur trader. I don't live in an igloo or eat blubber or on a dog sled.
0: It lets you buy and sell top crypto assets including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, XRP, and QCAD. Everybody here at the station is having a lot of fun with it. It's super easy. And if you have 100 bucks and want to get in on it, click on the Pacific Northwest Radio homepage and click the NetCoins Buy icon. You're going to get 10 bucks just for buying in, and when you refer someone, you'll get 50 and they'll get $10. let us get rich together. Thanks for listening to Pacific Northwest Radio. Now go get your Bitcoins. Click on our homepage and follow the Netcoins link. If you're looking for past Magazine Canada shows, all of the back shows are on Pacific Northwest Radio. Just click on the Magazine Canada show icon on the homepage, and there you'll find them. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites all waiting for you to discover. Right now, while you're listening to the show, find us on social media Instagram and Facebook at Magazine Canada. We also have a group page, Make a Scene BC, where you can post your upcoming gigs. Don't forget to give Pacific Northwest Radio a like on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pacific Northwest Radio. Okay, let's have some fun. Music production and artist manager Peter Carroll is a platinum and gold awarded producer, engineer, and songwriter who has managed, produced, distributed, marketed major and independent artists songs, live tours, television, and in-movie soundtracks, thousands of international live shows and events, hundreds of songs recorded and videos produced, a multitude of movie soundtracks, television episodes, marketing strategies, radio and video promotions, publicity, music distribution, merchandising, publishing. He's done so much. I'm just so happy to have him on the show today. You're a music industry icon, but you're also a musician. So you've been on both sides of the industry, which allows you to understand this crazy animal that we're all involved in, right?
2: Thank you for those compliments, but uh, we never look at ourselves like being an icon. And uh, I always just say, I'm a guitar player.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, you're you're definitely an icon. I've I've followed your career. (laughs) And I want to go back to the early days of your career. How did music actually find you?
2: My father was a violinist and, uh, the orchestras and, and, uh, was on on the the political trail with Tommy Douglas playing at a very young age. And, uh, so he was early days of the NDP. He was out on the road with the the political party. (laughs) uh, My mother was a pianist and, uh, so we had it in the family and, uh, I got started on guitar when I was 10 because my older brother uh, didn't show up for the guitar lessons that he had. Uh, My parents had gotten him, so I inherited the guitar and the lessons and uh, just kept going. (laughs) That's how it went.
0: Awesome. And what's your earliest memory of songwriting?
2: Songwriting, earliest memory. That's a good one. I had my first band at 12, 13, 13. we had done a bunch of covers, like things like the Rolling Stones and the Animals, and just, just a whack of, of, of British rock stuff. And I, and I, I, I started writing that, you know, basically mimicking the stuff that was coming out of the UK.
1: I
0: also love the idea of a family band. So I want to chat to you about your family band, the Carroll Brothers, with your brother John and Paul. Were you guys just like sitting around the kitchen table and somebody said, hey, you know, let's start a band? Or how did that happen for you?
2: Uh, I was the eldest of the three brothers. What happened was that uh, I was in a band within a group up in Northern Alberta. And uh, and, uh, when we needed a bass player... You know I, I just sort of said well, paul can play bass and he couldn't but mm. <laughs> but you know we we had gotten him a, he was left-handed so we had gotten him a left-handed bass guitar for christmas the previous christmas and he was just you know mucking around a little bit but we really worked him over so he could make the band and he got in and then uh the same thing happened a few years later with with uh, john who was a year younger than him as a drummer we sort of practiced with them, the two of us, well, in between band practices with the other drummer. And uh, the other guy eventually quit and John got the slot. So you know, it, was, it sort of became that. Then we became several different names and then the Carroll Brothers. So,
0: And the Carol Brothers had a reputation as one of Canada's most enduring recording acts, um, evolving and developing your own unique style of album-oriented rock you released four albums and what I want to talk to you about specifically is co-producing the music because you were involved with some pretty high profile heavyweight guys that were contributing producers and engineers on your albums like Bob Rock and Mike Fraser. You know, those, those are heavyweights. I want to know what's the most valuable lesson or tool that you learned from working with guys like Bob and Mike.
1: Oh
2: man, we worked with the, we worked with some, some guys that were, um, like we worked with a guy who was an engineer for the Sex sex Pistols and a lot of the British Invasion stuff. He he taught us that um, uh, that experience was that we were just doing too much to the tracks, you know, to, to really strip it down, just be, you know, as pure as possible. Bob Rock was an engineer. Bob just brought all the sounds and we could just experiment through everything. Mike Fraser, when I first met him, was a sweeping. was was We gave him his first job as tape operator on a Caribou Brothers record.
0: And, uh, oh my God! So
2: that's a that's, that's a cr- that's a funny story because Mike was, you know, the janitor around the place trying to get his first slot, and, and our record was the first one. <laughs>
1: wow, <laughs> as that's amazing!
2: Uh, yeah, assistant engineer. So, and then he's a friend for years after that, and worked with various other things with us. So I think I think the Martin Sher also who had Sweeney Todd, he produced Nick Gilder, Sweeney Todd, and all of that stuff. He was pretty pivotal. He was the guy that was really about the songs. Uh, because he recorded Roxy Roller for for Sweeney Todd and and uh you know that album. And he also he also had discovered Brian Adams. He brought Brian in when Nick left, Nick Gilder left. So he was a really really a song driven guy, uh, just not very equipped you know, for the North American industry that much, but the, uh, um, you know, really, really a song guy from out of the UK. So he was a British producer. And, and so he, he he helped with a lot of of that kind of knowledge and, and uh, you yeah, know, for all of us, for Brian and for Nick Gilder and everybody, he really helped gel songwriting mm-hmm. for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's it's really it's about the song. Really, you know what I mean? If if you don't have the song, you don't have anything.
2: Exactly. I mean, um, Ralph Murphy, I used to manage as a songwriter. Yeah, I don't know if you know Ralph. He was um, a Nashville guy uh, who uh, we brought up to Canada with the National North thing, with uh, with a bunch of the songwriters from Nashville that used to come up to Vancouver and elsewhere. And these guys were the hit writers behind a lot of the big artists down in Nashville. And they were just be three or four writers sitting up on stage and and uh, talking about the hits they wrote and how they came up with those hits. And then uh, I got a chance, because Ralph was pivotal in bringing that together, you know, talking to those guys and learning all about their song crafts and what inspired them and what were the tricks and, you know, what goofy things happened that create great songs, you know. And uh, the stories were all over the place.
0: Wow, those those are my favorite events to go yeah. to and it's just the songwriter with his guitar or her guitar yeah. and telling those stories, you know, it's it's um it, because a lot of times people have no idea what the song's about. Exactly. Or, you know, where it comes from.
2: Exactly. I mean this guy wrote the uh, I forget the name of the writer, but he wrote the uh, Wanna Make Your Don't It Make Your Brown Eyes Blue. Right?
0: Oh right. Crystal yes. Gale. Crystal Gale. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: he wrote that song and uh, he was sitting there trying to find the course. Don't make don't it make your don't it make your brown eyes? And he was trying to find the word. And he looked, looked at his little dog up there and the dog had one blue eye.
0: Oh my god.
2: Don't make your brown eyes blue. And he said, That's yeah. it, I got
1: it. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. And look, look how that song took off, yeah. jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Now, after the Carroll Brothers disbanded and then you regrouped as Warriors a few years later, um, losing the keyboards altogether and adopted a heavy guitar-oriented metal sound, did your fans support the new band and, and the new sound, or were you just bringing in new fans?
2: They supported it because we did the same touring. And, and uh, you know, they knew that we were the Carroll Brothers, you know, just what we, what we did was pull Frank off of the keyboards. He had a very very you know acd dc ish uh accept type of sound in his voice so he could hit the the ranges of the songs that we were writing and uh paul and i were sick of we we're tired of singing we just wanted to do our instruments and, and uh support a great singer so that was what that was all about it was and also we had, i had taken a lot of um guitar lessons off a guy out of Maple Ridge called Colin German and Colin was, was a British session guy. And I, you know, I started taking lessons years after I'd, uh, you know, been on the road touring and recording and everything. And so it exposed like all of the, you know, Eddie Van Halen stuff and all of the, you know, but he was a great teacher. He taught me all, all about the million dollar note, the single note that, just makes it's worth a million bucks, right? And the solo stuff like that. It was it was a lot of fun. So that's what the Warriors were all about. It was more about just being, you know, at one with our instruments and really working on that.
0: And then when you got involved in management for Biff Naked, were you still on the Warriors? Like, what was that kind of cross boundary like?
2: I um, I went to meet them in mid seventies, no mid eighties. And I took with me five, five tapes from bands from Vancouver, and plus the Carroll Brothers tape. I came back with five record deals, and not one to the Carroll Brothers.
0: Oh no! <laughs> so so that, was
2: the, that was the adjusting point for me in managing artists. That's where I decided. Well, you know, I was able to sell other people, but I couldn't sell myself. You know, I could go out there and and, and and do that. So I came back, and in that process, I crossed a band called Annihilator, which <laughs> guitar player, Jeff Waters. And Annihilator, yeah, I hooked up with him, got him recording. We signed a deal with Will Runner. He became the best-selling act, co-headlining and doing that with that band. So it was a big jump, a big change for me in the music industry. That big, and that was in the late 80s. And then the early nineties is when I bumped into Biff and I had Rhymes with Orange already as a group. And I saw Biff on the front of a of a I think called the Alternative Press. And uh, her photo was there and I just looked at it, read the article, looked at the other photo, walked into the phone inside the studio that I was walking into, phoned up a guy by the name of Mike Price, who was a sound man in Vancouver. I said, Mike, Biff naked. He says, Yeah, I know Biff, I do sound for her. I want a manager?
0: <laughs> oh man! Says, just like yeah, that. He says,
2: "I'll tell her." <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see if she gets back. And you. that was
2: it. <laughs> you know, so it was like that.
0: No, oh, that's amazing. What what a story! You know, when you look at your journey, you know, kind of to date, and you're just like, wow, everything, all the pieces of the puzzle just kind of filled, you know, fit together really nicely, yeah. and. Yeah, that's awesome. But then you guys created Her Royal Majesty Records. So was that close to the same time as meeting her? Or how many years kind of went through a bit of a process before you went, hey, let's do this? She was
2: in Chrome Dog when I um, started managing her. So I I was managing Chrome Dog, and I was sending them down to the U.S. on tours and, you know, parts of Canada. So she left Chrome Dog because they were misogynistic guys and really were, you know, making her suffer for being the friend of the band and went on to this band dying to be violent and during that time john dexter had plum records and john approached me and said i'd like to do an album with biff naked and i said well she's in a band called dying to be violent and he says yeah well if they want to switch the name to biff naked i'm okay with that but i just you know she's who i want right and uh and so I sat down with the band and her and I said, we have an opportunity to have a deal with Plum. They have a, they're signed to a Records and uh, for distribution. And uh, you know, when well, he wants the band to be called Biff Naked and the guys had a meeting and said, no, we can't do that. We're dying to be violent. And so I've said to Biff, hey, you got it. You have, you have a choice. You can either be in a band called Dying to be Violent Or you can be a solo artist called Biff Naked with a record deal. What do you want? Yeah. (laughs) She said, I'll take option. It's a no-brainer. I'll take option two. (laughs) 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 So John recorded the record and put out one video, one song, which was the first video, which was her in a closet singing, uh, I forget the name of the song, but it was about... It was some song about, you know, being abused and much music jumped on it like crazy. And it was not a hit single or anything like that. It was just a very uh, striking song and an interesting video. And uh, um, then John decided that he didn't want to be in the record industry anymore. He wanted to be a songwriter. So he was shutting down Plum Records. At the time, I I was... in contact with Johnny Zazuola, who was the manager of Metallica, we were talking about working on some bands together. Annihilator being one, and and I threw him, threw down some Biff naked to him, and he just said, "Yeah, we love Biff. We want to get involved." And so, at that moment, when John wanted to leave, uh, when John Dexter wanted to leave and go to California and just you know continue to be a songwriter because he had some hits before, and uh, you know John Zazuola and I and Marsha, his wife we uh, bought the album off of John, and we went out and had, you know, Daddy's Getting Married and a whole pile of other tracks and that, that album sold over a million copies worldwide. And we bought it for 20,000 bucks, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, but but it was GIF <laughs> she carried the whole thing. I mean, she carried it all on her back, right? Everywhere she went, there was just more audience, more play, more of this, more that. So, so that was how that went, and uh, because we didn't have a label, we just sat, I sat down with her and said, "Well, so what do you want to? We we have no label. There's nobody wants to sign you. Nobody, no, all the labels in Canada think you can't get airplay." This was before Daddy's. and and uh, and uh, she said, "Well, yeah, let's start a label. Let's call it Her Royal Majesty's Records." And I said, "Okay, it's done." So her and I became partners in that.
0: That's amazing. And the rest is history. And that was how many years ago was that?
2: 94. Okay. 94, I think.
0: You must have gone through a lot of growing pains over the years, Um, you know, having the record company and everything else that you are involved in. Can you share a few memories with me, good or bad? Something that just sticks out for you and you're like, ugh.
2: Well, I think uh, the bad stuff was that we couldn't get distribution and I still had the sub-license through other independents on Biff because everybody said this tattoo girl is not going to get played. So then we, we we hooked up with Aquarius Records and uh, co-ventured that first album for Canada. And I licensed out to um, Intercore and, and uh, other companies in Europe and that. We had the first success out of Europe and the airplay over there and came back and, and Aquarius was releasing the record, and Rob Robson uh, heard me on a panel, uh, so we we couldn't get any distribution. We couldn't get anything. And Rob Robson from the the uh, programmer at Sea Fox was on a panel with me in Vancouver at Music West, and I was talking about Biff Naked's, all the gains she'd been making over in Europe, and how we'd we'd been breaking over there, but we can't get anything done in Canada, and. uh Rob came up to me after the panel and said, that's an amazing story. He says, I'm so embarrassed. We'll be on Biff's single Monday. Wow. So it was like that, that he was on the track and and it just broke out of that. (sighs) And uh, we moved into the second album. We were signed by Sony 550 Records, which is Celine Dion's label out of New York. They recorded uh, Bificus. They paid for it, recorded it. Worked with uh, Glenn Robinson and John Patoker in the studio. We had um, uh, the Armory Studios locked out. It was just a fantastic recording. And we went to New York um, for a meeting with Johnny, Marsha, Biff, myself, to meet Paulie Anthony, the head of 550. And everybody was excited about this record. And Michael Alago was the AR guy. And he was in the meeting, and he was really nervous. Like, he was extremely nervous and Polly was it's like a holly hobby type of woman like she had all these flowery prints and curtains were a certain thing and she was very like a a country type of um, office and the whole thing was very strange to me it was very um, uh, eccentric in that kind of way right and so we're sitting in there and the Biff is there and, uh, and it was the coldest meeting I've ever been in in my life
1: hmm
2: And we walked out of that meeting after 10, 15 minutes of just, you know, all feeling like like, just nothing was being said. She wasn't being nice, nothing. And uh, walked out of that meeting expecting to get a release date on our, on the album to get the, get all that scheduled. And Michael Alago disappeared. We left the offices of Sony 550. We found out the next day that they were dropping the record that it was because uh, Paul um, Paulie Anthony could not see a tattooed alternative girl on the same label as Celine oh, Dion geez. so we lost the entire deal hmm. so Ibificus was not going to come out it was locked up in the deal with Sony Music they were not going to release it there was no other options except for I had a friend from the intercore days of the heavy metal that was named Jorg Hacker and he was running Sony in Europe and uh he convinced Sony to let him acquire the record out of Europe and give us the rights back for America and North America. So we went out and did a showcase in New York, relicensed to um, Lava Records with Jason Flom, and uh, gave the second record to Aquarius again because they did such a great job on the first in Canada. And uh, that took about a year of moving that around and getting everything done until it finally came out. And that was a great thing after a really bad thing. No kidding.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, you know, that
2: know, so that. Her, her career was dead at that moment, and it, and it was alive again. So all of the, you know, Space Man and all of that stuff that came out of, out of uh, you know, that record was just phenomenal from that. And, you know, I mean, when when I wrote the song Spaceman with her, it was us two sitting in a an apartment, and there was a four track machine, and I was fooling around on the guitar with a with a drum machine, like a like a cause, cause, uh-huh. you know that type of thing, and it was just a four track, and I had this, this riff,
1: <laughs>
2: you know, and and had the the chord patterns all worked out and. And she said, that sounds really cool. Well, let me write the write the lyrics to that. I said, yeah, work on it. So I gave it to her. She plugged it into her, her, uh, I made her a coffee. She plugged it into her her Walkman and, uh, sat there and I got it. I got it. I got the lyrics. And she started singing. I said, this is fantastic. So she started singing, uh, this song about the taggers, whiskers. Hmm. And, uh, I looked at her and said, that's the fucking worst lyrics I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and she said, really? And I said, she said, it's about India. I said, yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> keep you know, keep, keep going. going. And, so, and so I went, left, went and got a coffee, came back. And uh, she said, I got it, I got it. <laughs> she sang Spaceman, you know.
1: oh that's
2: so brilliant and she's saying the whole thing and she stood up like she had but she didn't and she just did this whole thing it was like a live performance And i said that's a fucking hit and she goes you think so and i said yeah so i sent it i packaged it up shipped it to new york and uh and this was when we were recording it. Michael DeLago was with the NR guy. And he, he phoned me back as soon as he got it on FedEx and said, Peter, that's a fucking hit.
0: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> you know, and so it was just like that. And it became the number one most rotated song in the history of Canada for an independent artist. And, you know, so it was all oh, good.
0: Awesome. And it's funny because that was actually one of my questions. So thank you for answering that. I wonder if did Biff actually see somebody like an alien? Because like she goes, remember that night in my window when I waved to you? like did she ever talk yeah, no, about anything is... like
2: that <laughs> Well, she she was like uh always lived in a fantasy mm. headspace right so she like she's she was never in a meeting uh where like what she called the grown-ups like we were talking around her where she she would pay attention to the what was going on she would go into a like a, a fantasy world and i asked her about it one time i said so what'd you think of that meeting and she said what meeting or, what you guys were talking about and i said yeah <laughs> she says I don't listen. I just go into this fantasy world. <laughs> oh, that's
0: awesome! You got you guys. You know, so, out.
2: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it was uh, that type of um, uh, thing that got her through everything. So, spaceman, she was just basically, you know, I want to get out of this town. My life is shit, and I just wish some somebody would rescue me. And most of them are about guys that you know they fall in love with and they go off and or. To do whatever people go and do, um, whatever they escape the reality. And hers was space. That's awesome. You know, somebody, some alien come rescue me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Get me out you of know. here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing exactly.
0: that. Oh my God. That was brilliant. <laughs> now, yeah. besides Biff and your daughter, Britt, what other acts do you have on your roster right now? I, I kind of was digging around, but it says, uh, past and present. So I wasn't sure hers, who is currently on her Royal Majesty's records.
2: Well, we, we, we sort of um, dimmed down Herald Maj- Majesties after um, we had the Wu-Tang and we had DMX and we had Billy Idol. We had a bunch of different licensing things going on worldwide with the Bodog music when we converted Heral Majesties into Bodog music. And we had a run there. We had massive budgets and we did a lot of television and vifted, did, you know, judging with Johnny Rotten and with, uh, what's his name, Billy Duffy uh i think it's on a show in america that we produced and and uh, you know so we had a we had a real push with that and when that era uh came to an end we unmerged with bodog and became her all majesties again all of the the cd sales and everything to do with that had all disappeared you know there was no more revenues from that so the record company aspect just was uh was kind of like had to be redefined, and and I had moved into online casinos and online gaming through the Bodog thing. So we kept Biff creating, and and you know put out a you know got her book coming out, and and kept her writing and doing all of that type of stuff in live shows, and that's how she survived through that. Um, we recently reactivate like when i say reactivate is really taking a concentration on on her Royal majesties to reinvent it um back back in you know 1996 97 98 and up till uh, 2008 9 we were a 360 company so we would do everything we would Manage the artists. We would put them on the label. We would have a publishing arm. We would, you know, we would place their songs in movies or in television, and and do all the public co-rights and all of that stuff. So we we were actively a 360 thing, which was a bad word back in those days. It was like you can't, you know. But we invested such heavy amounts of money that the the, art, the artists were happy with that, and uh you know, we we were just involved in everything from merchandise into the whole whole thing, and and uh, you know, so. That's how we had our success. That's how we were able to put in, you know, millions of dollars into artists that were starting up and would we'll never get signed to a major, and and, uh, and it worked. And so now the 360 thing is is um, how the big labels are doing it, but we're not doing it. What we're doing is we're saying to artists because it's so easy to record a record now mm-hmm. and, and it's easy to shoot videos, and everybody's got distribution digitally. So all we do is we just say, We've got this experience. We know some people. You know, we've we've got connections around the world. What we'll do is we'll come in in a partnership with you. We'll be the management company and we will we'll support you. We won't can become creative with you. We won't tell you what to do creatively. We'll just uh, you know, you you be the creative, we'll be the other side of it, and we'll try to guide you in that. And if we like one thing more than another, we'll we'll let you know. Um, but you're the artist. You're the company. You're the record company. You're the publisher. You're the merchandiser, and we'll be your management. And uh, and that's what it is. And so that's how we work with with uh, people nowadays. And we're currently working with a girl by the name of Dellen Gray. And uh, we had a few people that we were working with, and we sort of, you know, pulled back to Dellen and Biff right now, um, just because Dellen is. Um, she's an artist that deserves the attention. She's like a, she's like how Biff was back in the day. She's so proactive and she's such a strong songwriter and she has an amazing voice and, you know, she's a talented pianist and guitar player. And, and, uh, you know, she's just, she, for both Biff and I are, are co-managing her. So it's, uh, it's our first, uh, real co-management, uh, artists that we're, we're working together on. So that's what we're doing right now.
0: That's awesome. Um, so you're not really looking for anybody else to kind of work with right now, but how would an artist get your attention?
2: So it's not that we're not looking because we never look. Oh, Okay. I've never looked at it for an artist. They just fall in my, you know. Like
0: with Biff, um, you just um, saw I mean, her picture and you were like, hey.
2: Yeah, sort of thing I said, I want to manage yeah. the artists. So I've turned down and, and I've been in the, in discussions with artists that I didn't move forward with on management. Well, you know, like Carly Rae Jepsen, I, I turned down um, with John and Cisula, We watched her in the showcase. She couldn't sing on key, but she was cute as a button, but she couldn't sing on key, right? So if we sat there and said, cute. Cool song, but, you know, and uh, so then other guys took her and were able to develop her and spend the time in the studio and make her have success. So, you know, we've, we we took a lot of artists and had a lot of success with them over the years from J.D. Bigsby and had a top country track with him, one of the best-selling country records of the year. And, and he was just a Canadian idol kid, I think third or second or
1: something.
0: What strikes you? Like, what? what is it that... You know, can you define it a little bit like an aha moment or whatever it is that, you know, an intuition that you're you're looking at the artist or maybe just listening and go, yeah, let's
2: let's work with these people. There's a couple things. I mean, there's I mean, every artist comes with talent. I mean, there's so many talented people out there and there's so much um, that. Before it was, it was more important that the artists also have a significant image. Like with Biff, she was like, you know, iconic the moment you looked at her. You know, back in the day, and, and so I knew that you know her talent and 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 her look was something that would resonate. You know, with, um, you know people would see it, see her once, and they would always remember her. But the thing that really was important with Biff, and also with Jeff Waters and Annihilator, was that these people had nothing to fall back on. They didn't have, you know, uh, you know, trust funds or, you know, all of that stuff, and they, they didn't have anything to fall back on. So they had to do it. There was no other way. They either were that, or they were, you know, working in a coffee shop, or you know, trying to go back to school to be something or get a job. But the they were supporting themselves. They were like really that was all they did and, and, and that's all they expected to do and never wanted to do. And they couldn't see themselves doing anything else. So short of a bad boyfriend coming into play and destroying the career, um, you know, that would be in that, in that situation. Or if it's a guy, you know, it's, you know, you know, starting a family or getting some responsibilities or, you know, whatever. Um, I found that females are more, um, have more of the survival instinct when it comes to the music industry and are tougher. And so I've had more luck with women. And, you know, because my my daughters were in the industry with me, it made it easier to work with, with uh, women throughout. And uh, I just found that the trust, like it got to the point with Biff, I never had to have a contract again. And, you know, it just, in other artists as well, it just was. Um, we're working together for a common cause and that cause to build a brand and to build an artist and, and we're all a part of that artist. So if I if I see someone that comes across uh, now, I like it if they have a strong image one way or the other. And with Dellen, she has a strong uh, alternative kind of depressed girl image, right? She just fits right into that whole thing and her songs are are you know, about the angst that young people have and, you know, the whole, she's she's making some gains based on, you know, her feelings about, you know, the isolation that's been going on and, and what's, you know, the way she looks at the world and how depressed she is and all of that stuff. So it's like, she, I guess it's her songwriting is like shooting fish in a barrel mm-hmm. <laughs> to use that, you know, she resonates. Yeah, no
0: kidding. <laughs> I'll have to get her on the show.
2: Yeah. She's a great, interview and, and uh, she's going to be massive at some point here she sounds like Adele oh <laughs> wow okay she
1: has
2: a she has a fantastic voice i mean she has a a, a quality of that and she's great range and her songs are so interesting so you know i mean you can you can go on apple music or spotify i think she's got a of three or four tracks up there but um, so it's dellen d e l y n and it's gray g r e y okay cool and uh
0: i will definitely check her out yeah
2: and uh so i think i think if we're looking for like age doesn't make as much of a difference to me anymore we were always looking for young artists and and uh uh i kind of like refuse to um i I don't really want to get involved with really young artists anymore the live release thing was you know dealing with teenagers that turned 18 and it all blew up right when an album's going straight up the charts and uh um, you know, that, that was destroyed because the singer went to a song, SoCan so event and, uh, she was talking to, she was, she was approached by a lawyer saying, aren't you the singer from, yeah. and before I knew it, I got a fax saying, uh, if you're going to speak to Colette Trudeau, you have to speak through me. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I went. What, Colette? What do you? What's going on here? <laughs> you know, like why is this? I... I, you know, we just, you know, everything has been going so good. What's going on? Well, I just, I just think I need my own, my own uh, representation. I said,
1: yeah. Oh
0: God.
2: For what purpose? Like, is there something that's a problem? No, but so, <laughs> this is funny. We went to a meeting with him and the other girls in, in the thing of Britain was part of that band and we're all sitting in a boardroom in this guy's, uh, office space. He's sitting at the end of the table and she's sitting beside him. And I'm at the other end of the table and, and, uh, and Riley's there and Britton, and, and, uh, the other girls. And, and, uh, and I said, so obviously we can't really have an effective band. If every time somebody talks to the lead singer, they have to talk to the lawyer. And, uh, you know, so how do how do you propose that we're gonna go about this? And the lawyer started talking and Colette pretended that she was talking, like she was mimicking. she was like her mouth was moving. It was like the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Like she was like like a puppet that was sitting beside the guy and her mouth was was her mouth was moving. Like it was like it was the fucking weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Wow. And I thought I'm I'm hooped here. And so we we just we ended up after about two weeks the video was climbing the charts and everything. We just didn't bother putting any more push behind it. And the album died, but... Uh, so <laughs> oh that's crazy it's, there's some crazy shit that goes on I mean
0: yeah I mean, and especially when when they're young when they're really young because they're so naive yeah. and they're just hungry and anybody can tell them something and they're like oh squirrel oh shiny I'm over here now yeah you know, well you know.
2: exactly and there was no problems with the band nobody ever had a complaint <laughs> they were touring oh, on buses God. and flying here and you know all this stuff was provided for them they were getting money and uh, all of that so it was really a weird thing, but there's other times that, that things were, uh, you know, where as a manager or something like that, I had, to, I had to sort of up the, the you know, the situation. I mean, I used to, with DMX, when he was signed, I used to, I used to fly Ali Adab, who was the A&R guy, into uh, Minneapolis, or where, where was DMX at the time, at, at where he was living and recording, with wads of cash, like big chunks. <laughs> yeah, so he would he would bring in cash because DMX couldn't have any money because his ex wives would take it all. So oh. he couldn't transfer any in, and and uh, oh, God. you know, so his, DMX's first name is Earl, and he's a nice guy. And I spoke to him many times, and I, you know, I think I bailed him out a few times and things like that. And, and uh, he wasn't he wasn't a a crack addict back then. He wasn't he didn't he wasn't into heavy drugs. He was into pot. And he would he would have fun and he would blast around on ATVs with Ali and and uh, you know they would blast up through the mountains and you know he was just he was socially unable to deal with life just not functional on a, on a normal level and that was his problem so he got into lots of trouble and uh, you know screwed up with the normal things and not, not bad malicious heavy drug things just malicious you know things and the sheriff in that area hated his guts didn't it was a racist and. Didn't like people that smoke pot, and didn't like hip hop guys in particular, and 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 rap guys. And he was, they was they would just smash his windows out and go in there and raid him all the time for joints. You know. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so he was he was persecuted, and the, and he was he was a guy that just you know had a lot of girlfriends and children and ex wives, and they took all his money. And uh, so after five number one records, you know he had to rely on cash that was flown in from a Canadian. Into that area, they have money. Still,
0: that's insane. Yep.
2: And, uh, so, anyways, I mean that's crazy stuff. But you know, that's yeah. how the world works. Eh?
0: That's how the world, and especially in the music industry, because there's so many deep, dark secrets that. Yeah. lot of times don't even see the light of day and then you know people find out and they're like what the hell
2: like who'd have thought this big tough he was the nicest guy you know i mean at one point the alley fell off the atm the dmx was driving earl was driving through the hills and he broke his collarbone so so earl picked him up and then carried him into the hospital like he picked him up put him on the atv drove down got in the vehicle and then uh you know, took him out of the car, carried him in his arms <laughs> into the emergency ward. He you gotta help my friend. <laughs> oh my God! You know, he was a good, he was a good guy, and I've got footage right now that I'm, I'm going through drives to see what footage we got on him because they, they're gonna want to the death row records, and, uh, and uh, so I'm digging through all the drives, and, and you know, Earl's there in a mall, you know, the guy that was the top hip hop. Rap artist in the world for many, many years. And, and there he is, like hugging people in the mall, you know, just, you know, signing the autographs, being there for half an hour, just for no reason. Not doing a record promotion, just, you know, hanging out, you know. Huh?
0: <laughs> hanging out. You, know? <laughs> you You've had so much experience in the industry. And as I kind of said at the beginning of the show, have worn so many hats. A lot of musicians listen to the show. So, what advice could you offer musicians that are trying to get above the noise and build their fan base?
2: What they have to do is really, you know, don't chase, don't chase what's going on on the radio, and don't chase all that stuff. That's that's producers sitting in studios, recreating, you know, the last hit and uh, bringing in people. If you're going to be an original artist and you're going to be a songwriter in any kind of genre, you got to, um, I think, just create your own music, produce yourself, get good at it yourself. So because we always were, like the first thing we did was we went in the studio ourselves and learned to record, even back in the day. And and uh, and that that ability taught us how to produce and taught us how to mix and you know everything that went with it. And and we learned We learned distribution because we did our own distribution. So nowadays, people can go out and put a record, a single out, or an EP out, and they can uh, buy a list or rent a list for ten bucks a month of all of the blogs and music publications and 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 stations and indie stations and Spotify, people and and everything. They can release to it, and if they if they actually put the work into it, just like they hired somebody to do it. Um, you can make gains and you can build friends and you can build relationships because it's going to come down to just relationships people that you know they connected with you they helped you out once you go back to there was a second one you build on every release and you just look at it like it's an investment in, in in the one thing that you can really invest in and that's yourself and if you believe in yourself you go after it month after month after year and you keep going and you keep getting better and you keep making more connections until your opportunity to breakthrough comes to you, but you don't give up. You don't ever give up. I mean, I've got an album in the that I'm working on right now of, of mine. Awesome. So, I, so I, I never stop songwriting, and uh, you know, I've got. Just like everybody else, I got a massive studio in mm-hmm. my Mac, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, why would I stop writing songs and stop creating, you know, just because, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, 28 years of age with a, you know, a rock band, you know? So, no, we, we, we
0: create until yeah, we just, die, really. Like if you're an artist, you're an artist. You don't yeah, just exactly. stop all of a sudden and say, okay, I'm not going to write anymore.
2: Yeah. No, we also do other things, but we create, right? So that's, that's how it is. I'm sure that's the way you are. And, uh, you know we can't stop and that's so why I, I think of like who can i find in the in the country market that i could do a co-write with and like, bring it on this track and i'm always thinking like what rapper could i bring in that would be so yeah. strange on this yeah for <laughs> you sure know? <laughs> you know oh my god like that. if
0: you're ever thinking about doing co-writing in that country vein my daughter aj she's so super talented yeah. oh my god seriously this yeah she's she is. just on the cusp of something big happening for her doing it all independently herself. Right. So
2: that's great. I'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Can you send me a link?
0: I will. I'll send you a link.
2: How to try, how to track her. And, uh, I'd love to, because, you know, we're, we're all about country. We're all about like that roots country thing. And I was just talking to Biff, um, actually yesterday she was at my place and, uh, we're talking about co-writes. She says, should I, we should, I should do a co-write with Dylan. I said, yeah. And she said, and somebody in country too. I should do a co-write in the country. Yeah. <laughs> I said you you should actually should you should be, you know you're you're a significant enough artist at this stage of the game that you could do country and country now has changed so drastically so Oh my god look at pink. So,
0: pink put out that album, I can't remember the yeah. the gentleman that she did it with, but it's it's not pop. It's got country, you know, flavors, right? So Biff could totally yeah, rock it. Exactly. Oh my god. I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. Sorry. I just have a few more questions. So the music industry has been totally devastated by this bloody pandemic that we're in. And our industry is the last one that's going to come back. Everybody's hurting from musicians to all the people that rely on us for their paychecks, right? So do you have a vision on how, you know, we as artists are going to actually make our way to any kind of normal after COVID days?
2: So what's happened now is because of the whole COVID thing is everybody is just first off, everybody stopped because they didn't want to come up with anything. That was just sort of like, this is unimportant. The world is in a pandemic. So a lot of artists just stopped producing. And so there was like a sort of a, I I think there was like a drop off and then people just started putting it out there. And then they started all these uh, streaming shows and, and doing everything else possible there. And, and, uh, i actually think that was overkill with all the streaming stuff we just turn them down now but we were doing some and for various good causes or for whatever and uh, mm-hmm. and some were good and some were just why bother doing that but the what's going to happen now is everybody who has amped it up in the later part of this this whole uh, experience and have been doing more recording and and uh either banking tracks or releasing tracks and just going out there and trying to get some recognition to them by utilizing all the lists and going out there it's uh live music's going to come back and i think everybody's going to go out and enjoy it i think it's going to have audiences that would not normally have have gone out and seen new artists and experienced new things i think people are going to really appreciate what they didn't have for a couple of years you know what I mean? I think I think the artists that are live music artists will be able to get out there and, and have more opportunity because venues are going to want to come back. I mean, there's going to be new venues replacing the old ones. It always does. I mean, we you know the world has lived through wars and still had cabarets and everything else going. You know, entertainment recovers. It just does. The world cannot live without food or entertainment, and that's all there is to it, you know. So everything else is, I think, pretty much... You know yeah. interchangeable, but those two things are always what people will look for. So, and we all know that you know the, the biggest problem is going to be that people have been so isolated that they they feel they'll feel weird going out there and socializing again, they don't know how to do that. So, it's going to be a transition and they're going to be out there standing there. You know, yeah, can I be this close?
0: That's right, it's yeah, like six exactly. feet away. Get your measuring tape out, it's like Peter, back away. Yeah. and I know all those big Canadian festivals like my husband um, Mark plays with Prism and so you know they do all those big Canadian festivals and you know they're not looking at anything this year you know 2022 uh, maybe
2: well Biff's got a tour that's been postponed one two three three times now it's a tour with um, I forget some arena tour out in the west Um, who's it with Oh, it's been postponed so many times I can't even remember. Can't remember. <laughs> but, oh, but but geez. it's now been pushed back to October. So oh, okay. so uh, it's like oh no no it's pushed back to August actually. They're uh, they're they're looking at it, pushing it back. I'm sure four or five times if they keep <laughs> doing this. Yeah,
0: she, with the numbers the way. Yeah, that.
2: so she's she's like, you know, the moment that the thing lifts. I know that uh, her agents are just dying to get her out there because you know she's she's a moneymaker for them. You know, and mm-hmm. she she can go do the acoustic thing, or she can go do the rock thing. So, you know, that's the whole whole scenario. So, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I know we're we're dying to get back out. Um, I have a couple bands, Stone Poets, which yep. is a folk you know trio, and then Head, which is a rock band, right? But Stone Poets had 25 shows booked in in uh, 2020, and we just we watched as the pandemic hit, and all of them just crumbled all the festivals and everything. So we're like, Ugh. yeah,
2: I no, thought that's bad because you know what, you rely on that that income and the activity Mm -hmm. and everything that goes with Mm -hmm. it. So,
0: I would love to play a song on the show. Do you have a song that you either, it's one of yours or somebody that you've written with that you would like me to play? And if you can tell me the story behind the song.
1: Play
2: Moment of Weakness from Biff. Okay. Because we wrote that song and uh, we recorded it the first time. Uh, It was recorded at Brian Adams' studio. We recorded the... Basically, Ibificus, most of that album was recorded once. And then when Sony became involved, they brought in Glenn Rosenstein. He reproduced the whole thing. So I produced it one direction, and then he produced it completely different, which is way better than I did. Oh! <laughs> and then it became... Uh, you know we, we thought when we were in discussion with Lava about what the first single in America should be, uh, we were saying Spaceman because it's already been you know big in Canada. and he said, I don't know about America. And, and they picked moment of weakness and it became you know heavy rotation on TRL on MTV and she got on the Tonight Show and a lot of big things happened mm-hmm. down there, a lot of big tours and stuff like that because that track was was picked. So it was a good good job by the producer. And it was completely completely changed by that producer, the the direction and everything else and the whole kind of ska thing that uh, not ska, but it's kind of like a Scott ish type of riff that goes on behind the behind it. I would have never thought of that.
0: <laughs> mm, interesting, yeah. eh? Yeah, you did it how, how everybody has a different, yeah. a different approach. I, w- I would love to hear your I would love to hear your version I'm, of that.
2: I'm sure it's thrown away and buried. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Wherever we've uh, we have so many drives. <laughs> I mean, it takes me a year to go through all the stuff, which I'm doing for DMX, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm, mm-hmm. and are you a big social media guy are you like a facebooker do you uh, like to tweet i
2: don't tweet and i don't do facebook and uh i do mostly just you know support my artists and doing that type of thing so mm-hmm. you know we we i only do it for I only, I only um set up campaigns or do stuff based on business or you know a trajectory or a reason a really good reason so um mm-hmm. just to be out there and tell people how to live and do things or, or to show off. I don't really do that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. What you had for dinner last yeah, night.
2: <laughs> exactly. Unless I got, <laughs> there's a lot of that. When I get my, my next album coming out, well, you'll see something.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. And I want to get you back on the show when that happens. Oh, thank you. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way?
2: Best way is to go to com and uh, just message me through there. That's how it comes okay, in. Okay,
0: cool. And people can find out more about the artists and, and everything that's happening with Biff right now. Yeah. Um, she's she's an amazing woman. I would love to have her on the show one day too. Yeah. So hopefully we can arrange that. Yeah, we that. can, no
2: problem. She's uh, happy to do awesome. interviews. And, and uh, you know she's around and available and, and uh, you know... Always happy to, to support everybody, so especially out West. Oh, that's yeah. great.
0: Yay. <laughs> so thank you so much, honestly. Like this has been, I know it's almost an hour. I'm so sorry, but you're such an interesting guy and have so much experience in the industry and so talented that I was just like, I was so happy and and a little nervous to get you on the show. Uh,
2: well, thank you, Cheryl. Memory will get you get you everywhere. You know that. <laughs> you obviously read uh, how to how, how to make friends and influence people, but, <laughs> but it's going
0: I have the book on my coffee table.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So uh, yeah, so you know it's, I've enjoyed it because you took me down memory lanes. I'm reliving this stuff mm-hmm. actually, and it's kind of fun to do that. So, but I really That's appreciate awesome. it. All right. Okay.
0: Yeah, well, take care of yourself and we'll talk to you soon. what a career he's had. That was Peter Carroll once again from Her Royal Majesty's Records. It was just such a pleasure talking to him. Um, really, really enjoyed it. So head over to the website if you want to get some more information about Her Royal Majesty's Records.com. That's where you can find all the information and check out what's happening with Biff. And also, we can't wait to hear Peter's record. I'm going to make sure we get him back on the show. And that's the show. I'm always so grateful to share our Canadian artists and their music with you, as well as our industry movers and shakers' stories. Leave Pacific Northwest Radio on 24 7. It's music online all the time. You can find all my past shows on demand. Click the Magazine Canada icon on the homepage of Pacific Northwest Radio. As well, you can find Magazine Canada on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites that you can subscribe to. It's all waiting for you to discover. Big shout out to my Make a Scene Canada sponsor, Sheldon Saharko from Zed Productions. All you rock stars ready to record your new album or single, check out Zed Productions at SheldonZaharko.com. The music that you're listening to right now is from my band Stone Poets, recorded with Sheldon, and you can hear more at stonepoets.ca. Or listen to my rockside Head, at headmusic.ca. And you can find me and all my projects at cherellejardine.ca. And please get in touch because I love hearing from you. Now take a few minutes out of your day and share our Canadian artists. Make a scene Canada and Pacific Northwest Radio on social media. Okay, signing off now. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, let's make a scene Canada.
1: Too close to the sun Feels better if you just start falling Just that thought.